Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We take that so seriously, we changed our name to it, right? Living Hope Bible Church, and of all the Sundays to proclaim that living hope, today is that day. Let me ask you a question here. Do we have any DIYers here? All you DIYers, raise your hand. I know I'm not the only one. I am a huge DIY guy, mainly because I'm cheap, but I am a huge DIY guy. I'm totally into this, right? I am pretty much YouTube certified for everything. I, I, I don't know what people did before YouTube. I think they read books. So, you know, I, you t- everything from cooking to mechanical to electrical zap to medical. I am medically YouTube certified. Now, it was uh, actually, it was four years ago. No, three years ago this month, um, I was mountain biking and had a pretty good crash. And if you mountain bike, that's inevitable at some point. You have a good crash. And, and I rolled... Uh, I went over my handlebars, really fun for a moment, until the ground hit. And then uh, I rolled over and I pulled my left shoulder out of socket. And it kind of hurt a little bit. And so I thought, oh, you know, and I'm not going to go to the doctor. So I, I got home and my wife was like, you all right? I'm like, I'm okay. I think I just pulled my shoulder a little bit. And she comes into the bedroom and I've got my iPad out. And I'm watching a video on how to pop your shoulder back into socket. <laughs> and she's like, what are you doing? And I, I was three weeks away from a missions trip to Africa, and I'm like, my thing was, you know, surgery, it's all, I'm like, let's just see if we can do this ourselves. So I found a video on popping your shoulder back into socket. Uh, the first one didn't work, um, <laughs> but the second one did. And actually, it was, she can tell you about it, I had my hand over my head, I was laying on the bed, it was the craziest thing, and leaned a certain way, and then sure enough, it popped back in. Now, your question may be, well, how's your shoulder today? Don't worry about that. So, <laughs> but I absolutely love DIY. I mean, I, uh, we've remodeled houses. We've done landscaping. We've done all kinds of crazy stuff and love to do DIY stuff together. So, you know that um, one of the things about DIY is, yeah, you save the money, but there's also a sense of pride that you did it yourself. And today, we're going to talk about that idea of pride, and is there such a thing as a DIY righteousness? Is there such a thing? Today on Easter, the the words we're going to look at today are these very simple words, do or done. Do or done. Because when it comes to righteousness, that's the only two options, do or done. How can you be made righteous? You know there's over 4,000 recognized world religions. 4,000. Now, there's five main ones that are practiced in three quarters of the world, and that's Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, and Hinduism. You take them all down, and you think, how do, how do we find righteousness? How do we find our way to God? How is this even possible? How do I begin to work through all these things? Well, if you take them all and boil it down, the bottom line is there's only two things, and that is do or done. That's it. And Jesus tells a story, it's a short but powerful story that illustrates a tale, if you will, two different takes on faith. One that said, do, I will do, or one that said, done, God has done. So look, what if I told you this morning that a very righteous man, as far as the world looked at him, a very righteous man did a very righteous thing in a very righteous place, and God said, nope, denied 
And what if I told you that a very unrighteous man, according to the world, a very unrighteous man, well, he did a righteous thing in a righteous place. And God said, I accept that. You're in. Well, that's what the story we're going to look at today is. So if you've got a Bible, I would love for you to turn to Luke chapter 18. Turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. And I'm going to read verse 9, verses 9 through 14, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Verse 9 says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they treated others with contempt. And here's the story. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed. Prayed like this. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. We are so grateful to gather in this place and to proclaim our living hope in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God, I want to pray right now that uh, the fact is we've got a few different groups of people here this morning. Uh, we have those who come every week and worship and who this is a reminder of just uh, of the greatness and the grandeur of our Savior. There are others here today, Lord, who um, aren't sure about what they believe. And there's others, Lord, who maybe this is the first time they've been to church in a long time. We're glad that everybody's here today. We want everyone to hear the gospel, the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray that you would now, uh, you would come and speak to us through your word, through the teaching and the application of your word, that you would illuminate this and, and open up our hearts and minds to hear you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so verse 9 sets the stage here, doesn't it? It says, he told this parable. Who's Jesus speaking to? It says, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Look, if I have a party, I'm not inviting these guys, right? These guys weren't the kind of people who were a lot of fun. I can guarantee you that. I bet you they took themselves really seriously. I bet they, they, you could just tell how highly they think of themselves. I mean, this is a group of sin sniffers and fault finders, and, you know, whatever it is there, they're going to find something wrong. They're just going to, it's like, uh, these, these are not going to be the fun people to do life with. And Jesus immediately addresses these people, right, these people in his day who thought to themselves, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person, actually. They're thinking, hey, I'm honest. I pay my taxes. Man, I help my neighbor uh, I even, you know, when you come to the section of the road where the two chariots have to merge, I let the other guy go in front of me. I, uh, you know, hey, when I go through the grocery store, if I have 11 items, I don't go through the 10 item or less checkout. I'm a pretty good person. I recycle or I drive a hybrid or, you know, I serve on a board. Maybe, you know, I, I've donated to Ukraine relief. 
and let everybody know about it. You know, it's like there, there are people here, and Jesus is talking about them, right? And he's like, they have this outlook where I'm pretty good. Follow me here. I'm pretty good because I do a good job of following the rules, the rules I made, the rules I've created. So they're like, well, I, I mean, it's like I, I'm like God. I mean, I have rules. They're just different rules. And I keep my own rules. And they're good rules. I'll even judge you by my rules for life. And what we observe is that this is really fed, especially in cultures that have a really high value of self-esteem, of self-works and righteousness. Uh, it works itself out in this way. It's why in our country, you have quotes like this. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. Jesus never said that. Quite the opposite of Jesus. Love yourself first, and everything else falls into place. You really have to love yourself to get anything done in this world. Uh, a modern actor said recently, going to love myself? Nope. Don't need anybody else. Someone else said recently that loneliness is a sign you are in desperate need of yourself. To which I say, no, I think loneliness means I need other people, <laughs> personally. But we, we have this really, really high value on self-esteem and thinking highly of ourselves when Scripture tells us clearly that is not the way to the Father. That is not why Jesus died so we could think highly of ourselves. We're going to look at this today because what does this lead to? Well, this leads to looking down at those around you who don't have your own DIY set of rules for life. It's a form of righteousness, but it sure isn't true righteousness, is it? It's why we often surround ourselves with people who think just like us so we can validate each other. Even if what we believe might be crazy, like in this story here. And the world has never seen more of this with our ability to be at least digitally connected, and we see that so many people express contempt for one another. You know what I'm talking about? If you're in the world, you see how the world's treating each other right now. Boy, if you think different than me, you're just an idiot, right? You're a moron because you think differently than I do because I'm so sure that I'm right that if you disagree with me, well, you know, I just can't even. And so we see that's the background for what Jesus is going to teach here regarding do righteousness or DIY righteousness or done righteousness. So he begins to tell the story about two men, verse 10. So we're going to look at verses 10 through 12 now. It says here, uh, two, go, two guys, they go up to the temple to pray. That's a good thing. That's a very good thing. And Jesus uses two guys really intentionally here. He juxtaposes two people. First of all, he says a Pharisee. Normally in their stories, the Pharisee would be the hero, because the Pharisees were considered the best of the best, the most righteous people. Like, they, they were the holy, the pious, the pompous ones. And he contrasts a Pharisee, who normally is the hero, with a tax collector. Can you all go boo when I say tax collector? Ready? Tax collector. Boo, boo yes. When I say Pharisee, let's say yay. Ready? Pharisee. Yay. yay, okay. And that's the norm of them. So when Jesus says a Pharisee and a tax you can understand, you Tax collectors were the worst of the worst because the Roman Empire, what they did is they would hire local people to go and tax their, their own people and they would abuse it. As long as people got, as long as the tax collectors gave to Rome what Rome wanted, everything else they collected 
they got to keep. You're like, I'm thankful the IRS, I used to criticize the IRS, maybe they're not so bad anymore, right? I mean, so imagine if you're the tax guy, the tax man cometh, and, and you are able to shake down people, because if you, if people don't pay what you tell them they owe, you've got the full force of the Roman army behind you to back it up. So these people, and that's why the tax collectors hung out with each other, because nobody else wanted to hung out with, hang out with them. So he's going to tell a story and use a tax, collector, a tax collector and a Pharisee, but in opposite roles. Because the villain in this story is the Pharisee, the good guy ends up being the tax collector, and it's really going to throw them for a loop. So two men go down to pray, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Verse 11, it says, the Pharisee. And can you in your mind just picture the pomp and the, you know, he's got his robe on and he just, he looks the part. He just looks like, he, people, he walks by and people go, that's a righteous man. That's a holy man. So the Pharisee comes and he comes, he stands by himself and he prays. And you know he's praying out loud so everybody can hear him. And he's like, God, I'm so thankful that I'm not like everyone else. I'm like, dude, not a good prayer. I'm like, you know, really? I thank you that I'm not like everybody else. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. And I'm especially not like that guy. I'm like, he can hear you, you know. And then he says, I fast twice a week. Do you know they only had to fast one time a year? So he's serious about it, right? People are like, man, that guy's serious. How, how, do, how does everybody know that they fast twice a week? Because they tell everybody about it. They're watching everybody eat. Oh, Matt, that looks so good. It must be nice to have that burger today. I'm, I'm fasting, you know. It's like, that's not how that works. So, so they talk, he talks about his fasting, and then he talks about how he tithes. He says, I tithe off of all I get. Jesus would address that because in, I think it's Matthew 23, Jesus talks about how the Pharisees would tithe off of their seasonings. They would grow dill or mint or cumin and they would actually get a tenth of that and give, they, they were so serious about their tithe being right, they tithe off their salt and pepper. I mean, that's kind of, that, that's, it, it's from a distance, it's like, wow, that's really honorable. You're so serious about this, but you know that it's like those Easter bunnies some of y'all got this morning. They're hollow inside, right? Aren't those the worst Easter bunny, the hollow ones? Like, come on. Come on, Mom and Dad, spring for the solid. <laughs> so look, we're going to talk here about this idea of DIY righteousness, all right? So why, this is a perfect, I think one of the clearest examples that we need to see this morning on why DIY righteousness doesn't work. It's not righteousness at all. I'm talking about any religion, any system of rules that is focused on you and your ability. See, the thing with this whole system, it puts you in as the Savior, doesn't it? If you're the one making the rules, that makes you the Savior. And we're going to go somewhere with this, so follow along with me here, all right? Number one, the first thing is, it's you-centered, not God-centered. It's you-centered, not God-centered. It says that they trusted in themselves. In other words, it focuses on man's ability. Focuses on man's ability. You're impressed with yourself, so surely God is. That's why this guy can get up here so pridefully, and he's like, God, have you, have you noticed me lately? I have. <laughs> I think everybody else has, because I'm, I'm talking about it. 
It's, it's you-centered. Man, imagine being married to this guy. Ugh, you know, not God-centered. See, look, we, we will do, now let's be real. We'll do stuff, and aren't we sometimes like, God, God, did you, did you see that? You know, I was really nice to that person. They were mean to me. We were, I was at a restaurant the other day. Uh, actually, yesterday we were in downtown in Boise and getting some food, and we walk in, and uh, we're not greeted kindly at this restaurant, and the people were all, we, we felt like we were putting them out being in their restaurant. Uh, and uh, they're like, hey, can you not order this certain, certain things? We don't have it. We're like, sure, 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 you know? But there's a part of us when we have those, those, those times where we're like, God, you, you saw that, right? I mean, just saying, you saw that, right? I, I could have I pulled into that spot first at Walmart. But I, I, you know, that person was coming in. I let them have it. I had to park all the way in the back and walk in the rain and the wind. And I mean, we, we, we're all wired that way a little bit by nature. But the problem with DIY righteousness is it's you-centered, not God-centered, which means it's not good because we all have faith. Everybody in this world has faith. The difference is the object of that faith. And in this, it's you. Uh, some people put their faith in God. Some people put them, their faith in themselves. You know, that's why Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And it's this fear of awe and understanding and honestly like a worship of who he is, God Almighty. The second thing wrong with this DIY righteousness is it compares us to a standard other than God's righteousness. There's only one standard that we all have to worry about, and that's God's standard for righteousness. It says they treated others with contempt. Why? Because they themselves looked at each other as the standard for righteousness. Uh, Over in Romans chapter 3, Paul would write about this, and he says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes. No matter who we are, For everyone has sinned. Isn't that right? For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. If man is the standard for righteousness, well, you can always find someone worse than you, can't you? You think of the worst person. I mean, I don't know who the the very bottom of the chain is. I mean, that's got to be pretty bad when you get to the very bottom of it. So unless you're the very last guy on the chain of of unrighteousness, there's always someone beneath you. You can always say, I'm better than so-and-so, and and we do that. We hear about the sins of others, and we're like, what's wrong with them, right? How How could someone do such a thing, all the while missing our own? We compare ourselves to ourselves. The third thing that's wrong with this DIY righteousness is it always leads to pride, and we've seen this. It always leads to pride. He's like, I'm not like other men. And then he says a whole bunch of I, I, I. He had, a, he had an eye problem, didn't he? Right? He had a serious eye problem. Look at, look at all these things. Think about the first sin. You go back to the garden in Genesis 3. And what does Satan tempt Adam and Eve with? He says, if you will eat this fruit, you will be like God. Because we have in us, through, that, through our first parents, We have that nature that says, yeah, I do want to be like God. If we could make the rules, we would. We would do that if we could. We desire to be the rule makers because when you make the rules, well, then they're your rules. And usually we make rules that we can keep. So it leads to pride. It leads to pride, right? We see this all the time because people come to Christ and pride rears up because they go, I used to do this, and now I don't do that anymore. And now those people who do those things, they're horrible, 
Well, you used to be that too, right? You forget these things. It leads to pride. The fourth thing that is wrong with DIY righteousness, it brings and causes criticism, not charity. Right? He, can you hear the, just the condemnation in his voice about this tax collector? He sees that guy, because the tax collector wouldn't even come close. He's off in the distance, and this Pharisee's like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And then that's always a fear on an Easter morning is that somebody who's not normally here would not come because they would fear to have that same type of feeling. And if you're here today and it took all the courage you could muster to get here, I'm so glad you're here. We're so thankful you're here today for Easter. Because look, the fact is, is true righteousness brings love. It brings charity. I mean, this Pharisee's like, you're a tax collector. You're the worst. Go hang out with your own kind. Get out of here. You got no business being here. That's why Jesus, Jesus was highly criticized. We know that at points the Pharisees got furious with Jesus. Why? Because he had tacos with the tax collectors, right? It was Taco Tuesdays with the tax collectors. That's what he did. And when he did it, the people went nuts. It was scandalous. Jesus, he's supposed to be a teacher. He's supposed to be a rabbi. He's hanging out with the tax collectors. What's he doing? He's bringing them the gospel. Rather than sitting there criticizing and, and condemning them, he had charity. He had love for them. The fifth reason we see here from our little passage on why the DIY righteousness doesn't work is it is strictly performance-based. Works righteousness, self-righteousness, me righteousness, it is completely and strictly performance-based. You're on commission in that system. How many of y'all ever had a job where you worked on commission? Those are tough. You know, you, you don't get paid unless you sell something. When I was a freshman in college, I had a job telemarketing. I know you're jealous. It's, <laughs> I was the one that called you during dinner to tell you that you, Mr. So-and-so, uh, MBNA Bank International, you, you are qualified for, you're pre-qualified for a credit card, you know? And you're like, look, man, I just want to eat my dinner. I know, but you're pre-qualified. And with all these, there's no annual fee. And like, we had these rebuttals where you'd get, you couldn't hang, you couldn't hang up until they gave you four no's. And then if they still stayed on the phone, you kept trying anyways, you know? I mean, it was like, no, no, no. But it was a, it was a commission-based job where if you didn't close deals, if you didn't sell, you didn't get paid. That's, you talk about stress. That's the thing about a DIY righteousness is it's performance-based. I mean, it, you know, you, you come in like a day like Easter. And, and a lot of people come in on Easter and they're like, okay, now remind me of what I have to be doing so that when it's my time to die, then I'm good to go. I don't have to worry. And that's not what this is about. Because the beautiful thing about Christianity, well, it's performance-based, but not my performance, Right? I, I live in the performance of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the perfect one. The last thing we see here on why DIY righteousness does not work is this. It's more concerned with what man sees than what God sees. It's more concerned with what man sees than what God sees. This guy does everything he does so others will know how righteous and holy he is. See, to him, God wasn't the final judge. He, you know, other people were. And he wants everyone to know how good he is. The problem with all of this is it ultimately praises you and offends God. See, we are to come empty-handed, not with our works in hand. As a matter of fact, regarding our own works, there's a couple of 
awful metaphors, metaphors one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. It's Easter Sunday, so I'm not going to read them today. But if you know what they are, you know what I'm talking about. The Bible uses some pretty graphic, gross language to describe us bringing our good works to God as if it could be a way of salvation, because it's not. So at the end of this part right here, what do we know about the Pharisee? It tells us he did not leave forgiven. He was not justified. In his pride, he is blind to the fact that he stands condemned. Now, in verse 13, we see what I call the best sinner's prayer ever. I'm not a, not a huge fan of the idea of a sinner's prayer because I think when someone is coming to faith, they know what to say. But if you want to look at a great example of a sinner's prayer, this is it, my friends. This is the example of examples. And, and remember, this is a tax collector. Part of why he probably doesn't go near the temple or close to it is because there's this pompous, self-righteous guy yelling at him and you know, <laughs> condemning him. And, and like I said, that's where at Easter Sunday, boy, we want to tell people, hey, this is a safe place to come and figure things out. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, we want this to be a safe place for you to ask questions about God, about Jesus Christ, about the Bible, about life. And if that's you, you're here today and you're like, hey, I got questions about this. I'm going to hang out today. We have pastors. We've got elders here. We've got people who would love to help you with that. But let's go ahead and look at verse 13 and then talk about this, all right? So verse 13, the tax collector standing far off wouldn't even look up to heaven. He's got his head down. He's beating on his chest, and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So here is the prayer, and Jesus says, that guy went away justified, justified. So here is the prayer of a man made righteous. Well, the first thing we see about his prayer is, he addresses God, no one else. He addresses God and no one else because your righteousness and your sin, it's an issue between you and an almighty, holy God. We are to compare ourselves to Jesus, not each other. This guy, this tax collector, he was smart enough to know that this was a matter between him and God. Nobody else mattered regarding his sin. King David in Psalm 51, a great psalm of repentance. David would say, against you and you alone, O God, have I sinned. Now, there was a lot of collateral damage in the wake of David's sin, to be sure. But David is saying on an eternal level, right, on an eternal level that sin is first and foremost an affront between us and God. And can't you just hear it in this guy's voice? Oh, God, it's broken He's got tears in his eyes, I imagine, here. He's saying, oh, God, oh, God. He addresses God, no one else. And then here's the big part of this sinner's prayer, this, this, this man made righteous. He sees and he owns his sin. If you get one thing here this morning, he sees and he owns his sin. He says, I'm a sinner. No excuses. No excuses. I humbly repent. I don't just hate the consequence of my sin, I hate my sin. He doesn't blame his culture. He doesn't blame his parents, his circumstances. Because the fact is, we're always looking for someone to blame. Not my fault. If you got kids, you know what I'm talking about. Your kids do something, you're like, hey, what's going on? Not my fault. Not my fault. Wrong place, wrong time. I, I'm, 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 I'm innocent. 
Again, going back to our, our original father and mother, Adam and Eve, when they sin in the garden, they realize their eyes are open, they realize they're naked, and they go and they, they sow them, you know, they put the fig leaves on and all this, and then God shows up and God's like, Adam, what's up? What's Adam say? We messed it all up, but it's not my fault. It's, it's Eve's fault. That's what he says. It's the woman you gave me, right? Come on, guys, that's why we still do it today. Oh, you know, it's, it's not my fault. No, salvation begins with addressing God, and then it begins with saying, I am responsible for my sin. I have to own my sin. It's my sin. That we, if we're honest, yes, we willingly sin, and we willingly face the consequence for our sin. So he sees it, and he owns his sin. There's no salvation without owning that sin and acknowledging it. The third thing we see then with this in mind, and how this is the beauty of it, friends, he falls on the mercy and he falls on the grace as, of God as his only hope. And if you're here today, that's our only hope, is to fall on the mercy and grace of God Almighty. Look, I, I, I just have to wonder if the guy in this story, if at some point this is one of those guys, kind of guys who they were at one of those dinner parties, and Jesus is there, and he's sharing, and, and this tax collector's there, and maybe he's off in the distance. He acts like he's not interested, but deep down inside, he knows he's in trouble before God Almighty. So he's kind of listening, and he's hearing Jesus share about forgiveness, and he sees other people there who used to be like him who are now not like him, who have a whole different way of living. Their lives have been changed because of Jesus. And so then eventually... He, he realizes this and he believes and he goes to the temple to get right with God. And that's when he falls on his knees and he addresses God and he prays and he owns his sin. And he throws himself at the mercy and grace of God Almighty. Paul would write to his letter to the Roman Christians. Paul writes to these Christians in Rome and in chapter 6, verse 23, Paul would say that the wages or the consequences, the compensation due for our sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? What is grace? Grace is, getting, is, is receiving and getting what we do not deserve. We get Christ's righteousness. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. That's the beauty of the gospel, is that great exchange so he addresses God, he owns his sin, he falls on the mercy and grace of God, and then what does he do? He receives it. He receives the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and he was declared justified. Justified, I love that word. It means just as if I'd never sinned. That's what justified means. God looks at you just as if you'd never sinned. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful this morning that if you know Jesus, that you are justified? Your sins, past, your present, and even somehow beautifully and wonderfully, your future sins, like God's forgiven me for my future sins? That's crazy. Yes, that's God. He's amazing like that. He was justified. He received it. Another one of Paul's verses to the, to the Romans, he would say in, in Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, we have been made right. We've been justified in God's sight by faith. We have peace with God. Oh, in this world where there's not a lot of peace around us, locally, globally, it's hard. It's nice to have the peace of God. We have the peace of God. 
or peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Look, as pointed out by the DIY righteous man, the Pharisee, God was not impressed with him. God's not impressed with us. But as pointed out by the tax collector, the outcast, he loves us. He truly loves us. The Pharisee would have been a man who knew Scripture. He would have known the Old Testament books. They would have had a scroll there at the temple, many scrolls of the, the book of, or the scroll of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 57 and 15, and we have this verse up here for you to look at. It says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. But now please look at this. And also, also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. That's why the tax collector went away justified and forgiven. And then this wraps up with verse 14, which says, I will tell you, I tell you, that, that man went down justified rather than the Pharisee. Because those who would exalt themselves, those who would say, God, here are my good works, ain't I amazing? And God's like, nope, you're not actually. Because he loves us, so he's truthful with us. Those who would exalt themselves, well, they will be humbled. But those who will humble themselves, they will be exalted. Not for their glory, not for their glory, but for God's glory, for God Almighty. Look, this comes down to this idea of do or done. Everything comes down to this. Are we saved by works? Well, whose works? If you're talking about the works of Jesus Christ, absolutely. If it's due, it's on you. You have to do the work. You have to bear the cost. You have to bear the weight, the stress, the pressure of that. It's on you to save yourself, which is impossible. That's why Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees, you can't enter into heaven. In other words, if you're going to try to get to heaven on your own, you do have to be perfect. Now, I know there's a lot of good people here today, but there ain't nobody perfect here. There's nobody perfect. We realize the point of the law is a mirror for us to look at to see that we're not perfect. That's so, When you just go through the Ten Commandments, it's like, yeah, I, I break them. Because Jesus is like, hey, not only in action, if you break them in thought, you're guilty. It's like, oh, boy, well, I'm 0 for 10, right? I mean, that's the point of the law, not so that you could obey it ultimately to be saved, but so you realize, man, I'm trying my best, and I'm failing miserably when it comes to this. And now you're going to throw my thought life in too? Holy cow, I'm in trouble. That's the, that brings us to the attitude, uh, the position of the tax collector here. A couple of verses here. Romans 10, verse 3. says they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by what? By trying to keep the law. It doesn't mean that we just ignore God's laws, not by any means. Paul talks about that. But what it means is we don't obey to be saved. No, for us as believers here this morning, we live in freedom in Christ. We obey because we love him and we want to make him happy. We want to please him. Galatians 3.10 says, but those who depend on the law 
to make them right with God, well, they're under that curse of the law. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments that are written in God's book of the law. This beautiful word here today is done. We are here because when Jesus was on the cross, he uttered this word called tetelestai. What that word means is it is finished, it is done. And what Jesus said is the, the ledger of our sin has been erased. If we will put our faith, if we will put our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, it is finished, it is done. The thief on the cross, right? He's moments away from dying, moments away from eternal separation from God Almighty. He looks to Jesus and he says, remember me in paradise. In other words, he, God knew his heart in that moment and he acknowledged God, he acknowledged his sin, he did all these things. And he was, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today. Done. This is why we're here. The work has been done. Jesus talked about this, as a matter of fact. In John chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus answered them and he said, this is the work of God you should do for salvation, that you believe in him whom he has sent. One final verse, and we're going to wrap this up here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's so good. And when we stop this morning, we realize, so wait a minute. So Jesus takes my sin... And in return, he gives me his righteousness, and he gets my unrighteousness, and I don't have to live in fear of death. I can actually have a peace about my soul, my eternity, my forgiveness, my salvation. So my question to you is, is so appropriate on this Easter morning, Easter Sunday morning. My question for you is, have you personally, you, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? I'm not asking if you grew up in a Christian home. I'm not asking if you do good works. I'm not asking about anything else. I'm saying, have you done what this tax collector did? Is that your story? And look, I get it. If you're here today and you're like, look, I, have, I, I, I want to do this, but I just have so many questions, and I've got, you know, whether they are uh, uh, intellectual questions or just things about Christianity, I've got all these questions. Well, the ultimate question is this. This is the ultimate question for us. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? If Christianity were true, would you become a, a Christian? Because if your answer is yes, then man, let today be the day of your salvation. Because there are answers for the questions you have. And there are things to help you figure stuff out. I would love to be a part of that, right? But ultimately, it's a step of faith, putting your trust, putting your forgiveness in his hands. And if you answer that question, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? If you say no, well, then you're acknowledging that pride is literally stopping you from even acknowledging about the truth. It's not about the truth at that point. It's about pride. I don't need to be forgiven. I don't need to give my life to anybody. If every single objection could be removed, would you receive him as your Lord and Savior? Look, if you want, if this morning, if you say, look, I have questions and I've got just, there's some fuzzy things, but I get what you're saying. I understand from the story of this tax collector that I need to be saved. So what do I do? Well, do what this guy did, right? Acknowledge him as God. Acknowledge your sin. 
fall on his grace and mercy and believe him for salvation. And we celebrate this day, this resurrection day, because this is what makes the gospel possible. If Jesus was not resurrected, if that grave still held, held his body, there is no gospel at that point. I know there's a lot of things that surround all this and shroud it, but I love the story of there was a guy that was born blind, and Jesus was walking through, and he saw him, he had compassion on him, and he, he gave this guy his sight. He healed him. And later on, they were grilling this guy because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. You know, oh, he broke all the rules. And he heals this guy, and the Pharisees are like, just, just giving him the hardest time about this. And the guy finally at one point says, look, here's what I know. Here's what I know. Though I was blind, what? Now I see. And the, so a lot of people come like, Jesus, I, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. That's a prayer of another person in the Bible. A guy comes to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus will always honor that. He always honors that prayer. I'm going to go ahead and call the ushers forward here, and I'm going to pray for you in a moment. But ushers are going to come forward. If you're here this morning, and look, one of the things we do is we have this, this Connect card that Ryan so aggressively tore off. Um, <laughs> And if you, you'll see on here, there's, there's spots for information, but one of those things on there is, it says next steps, which is, I trusted Christ as my Savior today or recently. Or perhaps you're like, hey, I, I, I'm going to be there. I want to go there. I just, I just need a little bit more help. That's fine. We don't want to make this some like, you know, in a, in a moment of emotion or in a moment where, you know, uh, you're right there. We're trying to push you over the edge. No, we want this to be something that you know what you're doing, why you're doing it. I'm going to close in a prayer here in a minute. But if you do me a favor today, if you, if you would like to talk, fill this thing out so we can meet with you some point and talk about these things, all right? We're going to pray and then take up our offering, and then we're excited to have the kids come up and sing with us as we close. Let's pray together, though. Oh, Father, we're so thankful, God, to be here today to celebrate Easter and the joy of the resurrection and what this day means for us, how exciting it is to be here today. And if you're here, friends, this morning, and look, God's maybe been tugging at your heart, would you right now in the quietness of this moment, would you respond to him right now? Would you understand that, that, that your faith, right, if you're ready to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, I've told you this morning what you need to hear. And if you're not ready to do that, I promise, I'm going to wait around this morning. I'm going to hang out down front right now. Even if you want to come talk, you can come down here in a moment and talk about things. But don't put off doing soul business with God. I mean, what a day to be born again. What a day to become part of God's family to receive the free gift of eternal life. We love you. We're glad you're here today. Jesus, we in a moment, we're going to close with this song, and we are going to declare that you are not just our hope, you are our living hope. We serve a living Savior, one who has told us that he will come back for his people, and we await that day with anticipation and joy. But in the meantime, you gave us the gift of church so we could enjoy a little bit of heaven on earth until that time. So, Lord, my prayer this morning is that Living Hope Bible Church would indeed be a little bit of heaven on earth because that's the way it's supposed to be when your kids get together. Thank you for this time and place, Lord. We pray your blessings on it. We love you. Amen.